Chapter 12 Lorena Lorena's back burned so furiously as she pelted up the stairs with a bucket in either hand. She was surprised the water she was hauling hadn't already started to bubble. The bucket's contents were sloshed over the side of the ship, and she was on the move again, ducking past Ned, who had abandoned his own buckets and was now bailing using an enormous wooden cask. His eyes were glazed and his muscles bulged as he staggered up the stairs with gallons of water in his arms. She'd never known one man could be that strong. Even with Ned's Herculean efforts, though, they were losing the battle to save the Unforgiven. Water was still pouring into the ship's lower decks through a handful of breaches in the hull, and without the supplies to permanently repair the damage, there was no way to stem the tide for long. Lorena had stuffed everything she could think of into the gaps, including one of Faisal's gaudy shirts. But if they were going to save the Unforgiven, they needed decent wooden planks to do a proper job of it. In the meantime, all she and Ned could do was run an endless Sisyphean loop up and down between the decks, scooping up all the water they could carry and sending it back into the sea where it belonged. With Faisal still out cold from the blow he'd received, Adelaide was attempting to sail the ship on her own. She was clinging grimly to the helm, trying to avoid contact with the larger waves that would send yet more water into the hold and hasten their demise. She hadn't said where they were heading, and although Lorena was vaguely aware of some high cliffs coming into view, she was too focused on bailing to care much about their destination. Once again, she staggered below to where the water was waiting to meet her, filling up her buckets to their brims before hauling them up to the deck, again and again and again. She was back below deck, noting grimly that the lapping water had crept up further and was starting to slop across the floor of the map room when the ship lurched so savagely that she stumbled, spilling all the water she'd scooped up back into the flooded room. Recovering herself and swearing, Lorena scrambled to refill them, wondering if Adelaide had beached the ship deliberately. As soon as she reached the stairs, she knew that something had changed drastically. She had staggered above decks not into the warmth of the afternoon sun, but into the clammy dampness of a large cavern. In the few moments she'd been below, Adelaide had sailed them into some sort of shelter, and the impact she'd felt was the prow of the Unforgiven as it struck the rocky wall, bringing them to a sudden stop. Adelaide herself was already wrestling with a gangplank, creating a causeway to a rocky ledge on which junk and detritus had been piled. You keep bailing, Ned, she bellowed, with all of her might, her voice echoing around the high cave and disturbing a pair of nesting bats who squeaked and flitted away in irritation. Lorena, with me! Though she felt about ready to collapse, Lorena obeyed moving rather less steadily than she'd like across the gangplank. Adelaide 
was already rooting through the old barrels and crates that littered the smooth rocks, and Lorina joined her in search for the supplies. Found nails, she gasped, feeling the cold metal sliding between her questing fingers as she groped around at the bottom of a barrel. Seizing a handful, and caring not that a few stuck painfully into her palm, cuts would heal. Not much good by themselves, Adelaide grumbled. Upon discovering a stout, if rusty axe leaning against the cave wall, she rounded on the crate she'd just finished searching and attacked it savagely, in the hope she might fashion it into the sturdy planks they so desperately needed. Instead, the wet and rather ancient wood simply collapsed in on itself, briefly eclipsing her in a cloud of dust and mold. There was an ominous creak from behind as the Unforgiven began to list dangerously. Frantic now, the pair joined forces, tugging with all of their might at an old tarpaulin. Beneath it lay the supplies they needed, left behind by some unknown adventurer whose loss would certainly be their gain. The question now would be whether they could act quickly enough to save the Unforgiven before the water she'd already taken on sent her broaching sideways, at which point the island would be her final resting place. Lorina didn't think she'd ever run so fast as on the journey back to the ship, and she hurled herself bodily into the water that now flooded the bottom deck with her share of the planks. Working in tandem for as long as they could hold their breaths, she and Adelaide moved methodically through the belly of the stricken ship, looking for the telltale air bubbles that indicated a hull breach. Whenever they spotted a stream, they laid a plank across it, pounding in the nails that would hold the wood in place and stop the flow. Every time they sealed one of the Unforgiven's wounds, they'd erupt from the water, taking a deep gulp of air and move on to the next. Before long, the heat of physical exertion was washed away from Lorina's body and she felt frozen to her very core by the icy liquid. Through it all, Ned kept bailing. And when Lorina came up for another gulp of air, she was immensely relieved to see that the water level was back below the hatchway. By the time she'd patched a few more holes, it was lower still, and now she felt confident enough to leave the rest of the breaches to Adelaide and rejoin the bailing effort. Before long, they formed an exhausted bucket chain, scooping up water with one hand and accepting empty pails with the other, until at long last, the Unforgiven righted itself. She was whole again. They showered Ned with praise, but he simply gave a little smile and went to sit indoors beside Faisal, who was lying under Ned's jacket in the captain's cabin. Between their flight, the fight, and the flooding, the ship barely had anything left inside her save for the map table and other shipboard essentials. Even most of their food and grog, which were stored down on the lower deck, had been lost to the seawater. Adelaide gave out a long, irritable yawn, seemingly annoyed by her own fatigue, when she caught the others looking at her. 
We might as well stay tonight and make camp, she admitted. Or we may be facing another ambush or a fight. So, let's scavenge anything and everything we can take from here. Lorinda nodded, looking around. Where is here, anyway? Seems pretty well protected. This old place? Adelaide grinned, weariness visible in her eyes. It's been a refuge for the lost and lonely as long as anyone can remember. Used to be a pirate hideout way back when. Thieves' Haven, they called it. Lorinda sniffed. Daft name. Well, it was the olden days, Adelaide informed her. They did things differently back then. They took their ease around an ancient campfire in one of the many offshoots from the central cavern, dining on the fruit that grew on the island's upper peaks and a pungent jar of pickled fish that had somehow survived the day's trials intact. No one could remember purchasing it, and Adelaide suggested wafting it under Faisal's nose to see if it might act like smelling salts. They were still soaked to the bone, and so elected to spend the night around the warmth of the flames, rather than in the damp underbelly of the unforgiven. I remember the first time I found this place, Adelaide commented, her voice unnaturally nasally, as she gulped down one of the fish with her nose pinched tightly shut. I'd found an old treasure map, and I was climbing around on top of the cliffs, looking for a place to dig. Stepped right through one of the gaps in the ceiling and just dropped like a stone into the sea. They laughed, and Ned replied, Well, there was one time I was with Faisal, right? This was before we met you, Captain, and we was out at Shipwreck Bay exploring some old galleon, the Black Witch. Adelaide smirked, lying down with her arms folded behind her head and her eyes closed to take full advantage of the fire's warmth. Let me guess, hunting for the captain's soul? You shouldn't believe in everything you read, even out here. Yeah, well, Faisal says, Ned, you go on up the main mast and see what might be up in the crow's nest. And so Muggins here agrees, Ned continued, stabbing his finger into his own chest. Lorina couldn't remember ever hearing him talk this much. And there ain't no ladder, so I has to wrap my arms around it and slowly make my way up, and I'm almost at the top when I hears this crack. Ned raised one arm and mimed the felling of some great tree or other. Took him three hours to dig me out of the sand. Ned, my friend. You do so love to exaggerate, Faisal murmured weakly from his prized position by the fire. It was only two hours. He lapsed back into silence once more, but Lorena could tell that it was the sleep of the exhausted rather than the unconsciousness of the unwell. They all relaxed a little more after that, and drifted off one by one, not even bothering to keep watch. Nothing disturbed them that night, however, 
save in those few fleeting dreams that visited them, and the moon slid across the sky on some voyage of its own. They awoke with the dawn, and though it was a grey and misty morning, everyone felt fresher and more optimistic now that their crew and their ship were whole once again. The fog would make travelling at speed difficult, and Faisal suggested they wait for the morning sun to wash it away and spend that time scouring every nook and cranny of Thieves' Haven. Adelaide agreed, though she insisted they focus their search on supplies they sorely needed. We're out of anything and everything, she reminded them. Though if someone manages to find me a new bed, something gorgeously soft and fit for an empress, I'll buy them a drink once we're rich. They spread out and moved through the caves, poking and prodding into nooks and crannies, though Lorina wondered aloud why they were expecting to find anything at all. Why, she inquired, had this place not been picked clean long ago? Sometimes it is a matter of practicality, I think, Faisal explained, pottering around quite readily now that the bruise on his head was almost gone. Let us say you set out on a long voyage loaded with food and supplies, and you come across another ship loaded with treasure. You fight, and of course you win, because you are a mighty pirate. But what is this? Your hold is full of bananas. You need the space, so you leave them behind in a place like this, or perhaps throw them overboard to be washed up somewhere. The sea of thieves gives and takes in equal measure. And sometimes it's a matter of drink, Adelaide added rather more pragmatically. There have been plenty of pirates who've forgotten where they stashed their cargo, or buried a treasure chest because they were too busy raising a glass. To emphasise her point, she wrenched the lid off a barrel and pulled out a sample of the provisions inside, smirking. Either way, Faisal continued, it always pays to be thorough. Sometimes even skeletons will ferry things from place to place. Perhaps they remember the days when they were pirates, or perhaps... He was interrupted by a loud crashing sound from the depths of the cave, and an angry bellow from Ned a moment later. Sprinting through the caves in search of the sound, they eventually traced the racket to a large bowl-shaped room, filled with leaves and detritus, with an open roof and a large square pit in the floor. There was a grunt, and Ned squeezed himself back through, covered in a thick layer of dust. Fell in the hole, he explained. Woods all rotten, see? There's stuff down there, though. Books and things. I have enough to read, Adelaide said blithely, for her meagre library was now at the bottom of the sea. Lorina lit her lantern and moved over to what remained of the trap door. We should be thorough, remember? You never know what might be down there, she said. There was a rope ladder leading into the chamber below. She could see. But time and woodworm had taken their toll, 
and it looked as rotten as the trapdoor itself had been. Instead, she procured a length of abandoned guide rope she'd spotted during their search, tied several sizable knots in it, and secured it against a large stone pillar. The knots provided small but viable handholds, and Lorina was able to climb deftly down into the hole. Much to her surprise, Faisal joined her a moment later. He shrugged when he caught her quizzical expression. This is more interesting than loading up the ship, yes? He picked up a pile of parchments at random and began to peer at them by the light of the lantern. Some of these are old, I think. Very old indeed. Ha! Lorena started slightly at his bark of laughter. What's so funny? she demanded, moving deeper into the little room and peeking into boxes to examine their contents. Listen to this! Faisal cleared his throat and began, somewhat haltingly, to read the unfamiliar scrawl. <clears throat> New cannon design was a success. Metal from cursed objects seems to keep its special properties and can be used as barrel. M helped lots, but still had to coat with two layers of primer. Should be able to handle even larger pirates. Hope to see design made popular will sell to shipwright for high price. He looked up at Lurina, his eyes twinkling with mischief. I think this was an inventor's workshop or something very much like it. And of course, his designs did indeed become popular in time. What a tinkerer he must have been. Lurina was still puzzling over Faisal's words. Are you saying he invented magical cannons that could fit pirates? She said, incredulously. And you lot launch yourselves out of them? Of course not, Faisal said reproachfully. That would be foolish. Lorena flushed. Well, that's what I thought. It is much better to get someone else to launch you, if possible, so that they can aim. Yes, but... Lorena raised her hands in an exasperated gesture. Doesn't it hurt? Only if you miss. Now, these, Faisal exclaimed, pulling away a large waterproof sheet and examining the weapons underneath it. These could be worth getting excited about, perhaps. He pulled out a large rifle with a very long barrel and squinted down its sight. Yes, I think these will be very useful indeed if our adversaries really have made it to Tribute Peak ahead of us. Lorena moving to appreciate a gilded sword hanging on a rack couldn't help but agree, especially when she considered the chipped and blunted offering from Wilbur that currently hung at her side. They're in superb condition, yes? Fashioned back when the world was new, Faisal mused. The others will be very pleased, I think. Working together, they carefully removed all of the weapons they could find from the dusty old workshop, along with a healthy supply of lead shot. With a gem-studded pistol at her side and the weight of a gleaming cutlass in her hand, 
Lorina felt far more confident about taking on any other crew members who dared to stand in their way. As an afterthought, she carefully wrapped Wilbur's old sword in an oilcloth and placed it in a barrel for some down-on-their-luck wanderer to find in the future. Give and take, she thought, with satisfaction. They piled the rest into a large weapon chest and carried it gingerly to the gangplank, expecting to be met with congratulations for their find. The minute they saw Adelaide standing at the stern of the Unforgiven, however, they knew that something was wrong. We've got company, she said grimly as they approached. From this angle, the cave's opening gave them a narrow view of the ocean. By following Adelaide's outstretched finger, they spied the forbidding silhouette of another ship threading its way through the morning's mist. Lorena's eyes widened. Don't tell me. Is that... The Black Gauntlet, Adelaide said grimly. Scorched but not scuppered, it would seem. She kicked irritably at a chunk of driftwood, watching it skip across the water below. We lingered too long. Assuming they know we're here, Faisal offered. Perhaps they came to Thieves' Haven to lick their wounds just as we did. Adelaide shook her head. They'd likely have sailed straight inside if that was the case. Instead, they've been circling. No, they've got us trapped, and they know it. We'll have to... Ned, no! The cry rang out with such ferocity that Ned actually jumped, poking his head up above the deck as Faisal tore across the gangplank and snatched at whatever he was carrying. He held it at arm's length as he carried it well away from the Unforgiven, moving with such caution that the box might as well have been a fizzing powder keg. Lorinan couldn't quite understand the reason for his alarm, though, for what he'd confiscated seemed to be just another treasure chest, albeit one with a very unusual design on its lid. It reminded her of something, but she wasn't certain what. What's wrong, Faisal? Ned had moved to stand behind them, looking upset. I couldn't find a way to open it, so I thought I'd bring it aboard for later. Well-intentioned as ever, my friend, Faisal said consolingly. But with our luck so far, we scarcely need to be bringing a cursed chest with us on our voyage. Cursed, Adelaide, who was a moment away from brushing the lid of the strange box with her fingers, jerked her hand away immediately. What's wrong with it? It is known as a chest of sorrow, though I have only seen one like it before, Faisal proclaimed. If it is disturbed, it will begin to cry at intervals, normally when you least wish it to do so, until the box is opened. If we wait a moment, I'm sure you will see for yourselves. As they watched in horrified fascination, the design upon the box ran thick with moisture, and Lorena recognized what she was looking at. The face of a myrrh, at least as she'd heard them described, twisted in misery. Great rivulets of water began to gush from its large, mournful eyes, and a forlorn sobbing echoed through the cavern. In moments, a small waterfall was trickling over the edge of the walkway 
and into the seawater basin below. Anyone who unwittingly carries a chest such as this as cargo will soon find themselves quite flooded out, Faisal commented. It is better for us to leave the wretched thing behind for some more desperate soul to take as a prize. Faisal, Lorena murmured thoughtfully, about those modified cannons you mentioned, I don't suppose you've seen any around Thieves' Haven, any form of defense. Only one on the north face of the island, and one is not enough. You would get one surprise shot off, perhaps two, and then whoever is working the cannon risks being blown to pieces because they are a stationary target. We pirates are somewhat harder to patch back together than our ships, I am sad to say. You sound like you've got another plan, Adelaide challenged her. May I remind you that your last scheme nearly cost us the bloody ship? Lorena scowled. At least give me a chance to explain what I have in mind before you tell me I'm crazy. You're crazy, Adelaide told Lorena for the fourth time, watching the taller woman slide herself awkwardly into the barrel of the cannon. Insane even! Have you any idea how difficult this will be? You wanted me to trust you, Lorena grunted, squeezing her arms up in front of her so that she could reach out and accept the cursed chest from Faisal. She hoped fervently that the wretched thing wouldn't start sobbing while it was inside the cannon with her. That's why I'm letting you take the shot. Yes, and since I first laid eyes on you, there have been plenty of times I've wanted to launch you into the sea. I just never imagined our lives would depend on it. Adelaide moved around to the back of the cannon and gave it an experimental tug, shifting the little circle that currently provided Lorena's only window into the world, so that it pointed down toward the water. Far below, she could see the imposing form of the black gauntlet. Its deck blistered and burned from the fire they'd started. Several of its sails singed, but armed and ready for a fight. She could just about make out Captain Quince motionless at the prow of the ship like a hunter watching a foxhole. Maybe a bit to the left, she said nervously. And watch the angle. I don't want to skim like a stone. Oh, and did you remember to factor in... Adelaide, with no small amount of pleasure evident on her face, fired the cannon. Lorena's world exploded with a shockwave that started at her boots and ricocheted up through her body like a tsunami, rattling her from toes to teeth as she was flung through the air. She clutched the chest of sorrow like a lifeline, wearing an expression that somewhat resembled the design on its lid as the stinging wind brought tears to her eyes. Her hair whipped madly about her face. Both ears still rang with the cannon's roar. And for a moment, Lorena sailed helplessly across the sky, blind and deaf to everything. She reached the apex of her flight, and she blinked furiously as her stomach gave a lurch, forcing her eyes open a crack so that she could peer downward and work out where she was going to land. Worried that she might fall short of her destination, 
Dorina concentrated on bringing her knees up snugly against the bottom of the silver box and tucking in her elbows so that she was as small a target as possible. Behind her, a second shot rang out, then a third as Adelaide put the second phase of their plan into motion. The cannon fire was designed to distract attention from Lorina, to make it seem like she was just another shot that had missed its mark and struck the water. Hopefully, no one would pay her the slightest bit of notice. If she was spotted, she was as good as dead. The black gauntlet was directly underneath her now. Her crow's nest so close, Lorina felt like she could almost touch it. Fortunately, the crew was squabbling among themselves as they searched for the source of Adelaide's ambush, and no one thought to check the skies for flying pirates. Now Lorina was level with a balcony that wrapped around the captain's cabin, and she had only a second to suck in a deep breath before the waves closed over her head. Her momentum carried her deep underwater, and she kicked out and up, turning as sharply as she dared. A few determined seconds of swimming saw her break the surface once more, alongside the bottom of a thin ladder that ran up the side of the black gauntlet. Now comes the hard part, she thought, grimly tucking the box under her arm as she grabbed the lowest of the rungs. The chest had started crying again, and she hoped that the wailing sound it made would be drowned out by the general commotion above deck. For Quince and his crew had begun peppering Fee's Haven with cannon fire of their own. Hauling herself halfway up the side of the moving ship with the soaking chest braced against her body was only half the battle. Next, Lorina was forced to awkwardly stretch her form as far from the ladder as it would go, allowing the soggy chest to dangle in her free hand before taking a one-armed leap toward the railings that bordered the captain's private deck. She missed. The black gauntlet had turned at the last second, sending the carved wood out of Lorina's reach as they swung, about to deliver another volley causing her to splash gracelessly into the sea for a second time. Spluttering and swearing under her breath, Lorino was forced to climb the ladder once more. She was all too aware that sooner or later, someone was bound to peer over the side and spot her clinging to the ship like an unwanted barnacle to be disposed of. Her second attempt to leap from the ladder to the railings powered largely by a rising sense of panic, was more successful. Her outstretched fingers wrapped around a handhold, and Lorena swung herself forward, using her motion to toss the cursed chest aboard. It fell onto the balcony with a dull thud, and she followed it, hooking her legs around the banisters so that she could topple onto the polished wooden planks on which the ship's captain might normally stand to enjoy the view. Not the most elegant way to board a ship, Lorena considered, hoping that the others weren't watching her through a spyglass. She allowed herself a moment to catch her breath, keeping low against the polished wood, then tried the little side door that led to the captain's cabin from the balcony. Not only was the door open to the cool sea air, but the key was still in the lock. For Quince's hubris 
had blinded him to the possibility that anyone might dare sneak aboard his beloved vessel, and she was able to sidle easily inside. As she'd expected, the level of opulence in the room was almost obscene. A thick carpet and numerous works of art added splashes of vivid color to the room, while feather pillows and silken sheets served to muffle her footsteps. She longed to steal a trinket or two, as a memento, but she knew she had work to do, and little time in which to do it. Dragging the captain's heavy desk up against the door that led to the main deck to block the entrance, she wedged the chest of sorrow beneath it. As if on cue, it had begun to sob furiously once again, and she hoped the black gauntlet's cannons were loud enough to muffle the sound. Lorena returned to the balcony, this time locking the cabin's side door for good measure, in case any of the crew attempted to break into the cabin the same way she herself had, and consigned the key to the bottom of the ocean floor. She cast one final look through the windows, noting with satisfaction that the room was already partially flooded. Before long, she knew the water would find its way through cracks and rivulets in the floor, dripping down and flooding the unheeded lower decks while the crew was struggling with the cannons above. She dove overboard, then, staying far below the surface of the waves and out of sight, until she was back at the entrance of Thieves' Haven. As she'd hoped, Ned and the others had finished their preparations and were waiting to cast off. The grin on Lorina's face telling them everything they needed to know about the success of her plan. As the Unforgiven's prow slid into the sunlight and the sails began to billow, her crew got a good look at the black gauntlet. She was drifting nearby and listing dangerously, her cannons silent as the crew splashed around inside her in search of a hull breach they'd never find. Only Captain Quince seemed to have guessed the true nature of the subterfuge, for he was slamming his stout form repeatedly and uselessly against the door of his cabin, crimson with exertion and fury. Adelaide's crew favoured Quince with a mocking salute as they passed, and each of them raised a tankard of grog, drinking cheerfully in a toast to his vessel's demise. If looks could kill, Quince's expression, as salt water began to slosh into his boots, would surely have blown them all to smithereens. They savoured his rage until the black gauntlet dropped out of sight, lost beneath the crest of a wave, and the sea belonged to them once more.